Good morning, everybody. It's July 22nd, 2021. And I want to provide an update on where the U.S. Congress is at in its consideration of the voting rights legislation that we've been working to try to get them to take up and to pass. That's the H.R. 1 um, also known as now as S1 legislation. It started in the House of Representatives, and that's why it's HR1. It was the first bill introduced in the House, and now it's S1 because it's being considered in the Senate. The one means something in both cases. It doesn't mean it's the first, first bill to be considered or to be voted upon or to be passed. It means symbolically top priority, top priority in both chambers by the Democrats. Um, I want to talk about where we're at in that, uh, in this process. Um, so we are taking a pause in our advocacy work for common power to, um, it's, it's late July. We've been pushing hard since the beginning of March, um, to phone bank, uh, and to contact to phone bank to voters in key states to ask them to push their senators to support this legislation. And we've been direct to direct to senators contacting senators and their offices um, in about, uh, well, in all democratic states and um, in a small handful of Republican uh, states where there's Republican senators. We've been doing that since early March and We've had several successes. We've been able to, to tamper down, help tamper down really bad bills at the state level in several states, in Georgia, Arizona, and Texas. And we've been able to push the House of Representatives to pass, and then the U.S. Senate, the Democrats, to be unified in their support for H.R. 1, S. 1. Those are all really positive outcomes, and in fact, I would say the state ones are incredibly important because they give us a chance to still compete at the state level in these, in these really monumentally important states. And they also, uh, our push has also produced what is an essential outcome um, in the Congress, the House having passed it and the Democrats being unified in the Senate. Those are both have to occur, or what we'll call necessary conditions for the potential passages of of this bill eventually. So where are we at today then in this process? We are, we are currently in what we'll call kind of a state of, of uh, not limbo in the Congress, but a state of, of like parking lot in where the S1, HR1 S1 bill has been put into a parking lot and awaits uh, some decisions, some strategic decisions by the Democratic leadership. And in the parking lot, to use that metaphor, it, uh, it sits there and it can be activated. It can be turned on like a car um, and can be activated, or it could stay there for a long time and be left there <coughs> without any action, just like a car can sit, you know, in long-term airport parking for months. Um, so it's sitting in the parking lot because the democratic leadership in the Senate needs to make some decisions. 
Um, and I want to talk about those, the decisions they need to make. I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> okay. <laughs> um, this is the real time, very sophisticated, polished up podcast that you expect. Um, so what happened was in uh, late January, last, last, late June, the last week of June, the Democrats under Chuck Schumer's majority leadership uh, introduced S-1 uh, for potential debate in the Senate. And the way it works in the U.S. Senate is you cannot even, uh, the, the, you, you can't move forward with any legislation until you begin debate. I put those two words in quotes, begin debate. You have to uh, pass, you have to get enough votes to begin debate on a piece of legislation. And that begin debate vote, um, it's a, it is essentially just what it sounds like. There is a vote on whether to begin debate or not. Requires 60 votes in the U.S. Congress under the current filibuster rules. Requires 60 votes, 6-0. Uh, and it didn't get that because not a single Republican voted for it. So the bill didn't get there. But it did get 50, um, 51 votes all 50 Democrats plus the vice president who would have voted if she had to, to break a tie. Uh, but it doesn't matter to break that tie because 50 votes plus one doesn't mean anything in this moment because you need 60. Under the rules of filibuster, um, you need 60 votes out of 100 in order to begin debate. Didn't get there, but it did get to 50. And the, the reason 50 still means something, it doesn't start the debate, but it means something is because um, it shows that the Democrats had enough votes to pass the bill if debate could have been begun, could have begun, and then debate could have ended, and there would have been a regular vote to pass it or not. The final regular vote is only a majority vote. You only need 50 plus one. So having those 50 votes at the beginning shows that the Democrats uh, could pass the bill if they could get through the begin debate vote and the end debate vote, both of which require 60 votes to occur. But couldn't begin debate, so it didn't happen. But that does show the Democrats are, are able to pass this bill if they could get it all the way through the process. That's really important, because if you don't even have the votes to pass the bill at the end, then not only are you not able to get the initial votes to start the debate and then eventually to end the debate, but you don't even have the votes at the end to pass it. Um, so the first really important thing was that, that we got the Democrats to 50 plus one, and that was getting Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin to support this bill. And they don't support it exactly as it is, but they support it with the likelihood of certain changes. And those changes are acceptable to the rest of the Democratic leadership. So that's where the bill got to in late June. Debate was not begun because we didn't get the 60 votes, but the Democrats displayed that they have enough votes to pass the bill if, if the Republicans would allow the debate to begin and then would allow the debate to end. Those two votes, begin and end debate, are the filibuster votes that have to be crossed in order to get to the final majority vote. So it sits in the parking lot right there with a sign on it. With a sign on it, I'm going to try to go with this car metaphor with a sign on it that says, will pass, um, ready to be passed, or 
uh, you know, uh, will can be passed, um, but it, it just can't get started. You can't start the car because the Republicans won't let the car get started up. I think this metaphor's working not bad. Uh, Got to pause here for a second. Got to get something out of our mailbox. Stopping by our CP mailbox. Okay. Um, so it sits there in the the in the uh, <laughs> parking lot, waiting to be turned on. Now here's where the decisions by the Democrats come in. The Democrats have to decide whether they want to try to turn on that car, and the only way they can do that is by getting is is a couple options. One, they can vote to eliminate the filibuster. They can do that. That's a simple majority vote. Believe it or not, simple majority vote, and they could eliminate the filibuster. That's not likely going to happen. It's been indicated by Manchin and by Cinema that they will not vote to do this. But that is one way that this could be done. A second way is they can. Create a, they can vote to create an exemption for voting rights legislation from the filibuster. They can do this. Certain pieces of legislation have exemptions and don't have to go through the filibuster process. They could vote to do this. That is a possibility. The Democrats have to decide if they want to do that. That's a possibility. Um, and then the third possibility is the Democrats have to defeat the filibuster. They have to come up with a way to get around, to, get o- to overcome it, to somehow get the Republicans to allow the debate to begin and then to end. This is the most likely scenario, uh, if the Democrats are going to pass these bills, is to figure out this way, some way. Um, and I did a whole lecture series on what this looks like, on the filibuster and how, the Demo- and how uh, civil rights leadership was able to defeat filibusters in 1964 and 1965 um, and how it could be done then and what kinds of uh, ways that the Democrats could pursue that today. It can be done. Um, But the Democrats have to decide which of these three options they want to pursue. This is where the strategy comes in. So they have to pursue option A, which is get rid of the filibuster, or option B, which is create an exemption from the filibuster for specific election or voting legislation or option C, which is try to defeat the filibuster. In option C, there's a set of maneuvers and a set of changes in Senate policies that, that would not be transformative, um, that, are, that would have enough support from the Democrats to get it done uh, to, to make those changes. But they would, let's imagine there's four or five changes in the way the filibuster works that the Democrats could make that would get support from all the Democrats so they could change it um, and that would allow them to have a chance to defeat the filibuster. That's option three. Among the, the, the percent likelihood, or let me say it this way, if the, if the, if the, the bill is going to pass, which of these three is most likely going to happen? Uh, how's it going to be done? I would say it's you know, 80% in option C, mm, 19% in option B, which is exemption, and 1% in option A, which is eliminate the filibuster. So the Democrats have to decide which of these three they want to pursue. They may already behind the scenes have decided upon this. They may already be in total unity, although it doesn't seem like it. But the reality is that we, it doesn't appear that way. And what we see is a mixed message um, from the leadership about what's going to happen. And so this is the, the challenge right now. 
I'm going to go back to this analogy of the car in the parking lot. Let's imagine that car is for sale. <laughs> Some people want to are seeking to to try to purchase that car if that car is like the voting rights legislation. Um, how are they going to get it? And the the people who are considering buying the car, more than one person, are not are not on the same page at this time. So the strategy among those three options is what's unclear. It's it's really unclear in particular in the presence and the public voice of President Joe Biden. Joe Biden has pushed on the one hand for the the horrible, has pushed for new voting rights legislation, has publicly spoken about the voting rights bills that have been passed in state legislatures as Jim Crow updated, uh, and has said that we've got to pass some new legislation and we've got to protect our democracy. That's good, that's really good. But he has combined that with a, uh, a complete uh, mishmash of positions, or public words at least, on option A, the elimination of the filibuster. And where he seems to have come down is that he's not gonna push for that. He's not gonna push for eliminating the filibuster. He's just not gonna do it. Now maybe behind the scenes, He's working on that and he wants it to be totally seen as a Senate decision, but he is not publicly pushing for it. And he's had chances to do that recently. He's given a high profile speech uh, a week ago or eight days ago. And he also just yesterday did a press conference where he, he spoke and he said that he's not going to uh, advocate for getting rid of the filibuster, that, that it's an important part of our democracy. So because he's not going to push for getting rid of it, uh, he's not going to push for option A. That makes it, you know, that makes it impossible really to pass option A. The only way that option A happens, the elimination of the filibuster, is if the president push, 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 and put his legacy on the line for um, the bill, for this legislation. And he just doesn't seem inclined to do that. When you look in the 1960s, Lyndon Johnson didn't try to get rid of the filibuster, but he put his legacy on the line to beat the filibuster, option C. Uh, Joe Biden's definitely not willing to push for option A so far. So because he's in that position, then we really are left with options B and C. And option B has not been publicly discussed much. Option C requires some changes in the Senate that could be done, that the Democrats in total are willing to do. The Democrats have to decide whether they want to pursue B or C or somehow change their mind and go for A. I don't know what they're going to do. They haven't given us clarity. The president is not clear by any means. And Chuck Schumer has not publicly talked much about ways that he thinks A, B, or C could occur. So we don't have we being outside organizations don't have a map. We don't have a roadmap for how to move forward at this point. We have done all that we can do as of now uh, in terms of activating uh, voters or pushing senators. What we need is a roadmap. But that leads me to two final points. Um, lacking a roadmap doesn't mean that there is um, no action that can be taken by outside organizations. That, it doesn't mean that at all. It does produce a different approach though by outside organizations. 
if we don't have a way to pass this bill, then our pushing on senators doesn't produce anything further. It's gotten us to where we are, a unified Democratic uh, group of senators who will pass the bill if given the chance, but further pushing isn't going to do it. So the roadmap has, is what pauses us. It's what leads us to pause. But there are other ways, other actions that can be taken. And right now those actions are unfolding. First thing is the Democrats, or not just Democrats, but people, citizens, can engage in what we'll call direct action to make a statement, to, to as a John Lewis would say, um, to dramatize the, 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 the forces that are in conflict. And that direct action, can, by bringing public drama to it, is, is protests, is marches, is uh, nonviolent um, standing in and making the case. It, we, there are people now, the Poor People's Campaign is at the leadership of this in this country, but there were also members of Congress who are getting arrested and dramatizing, highlighting the horribleness of this voting rights suppression that's occurring and the unwillingness of Republicans to consider the bill, to even allow debate on the bill in the Congress. Um, so a group of African-American women got arrested last week by March. They were House of Representatives members and they walked over to the Senate and staged a protest and they were arrested. In state capitals around the country, people are making are doing protests and are getting arrested. And the Poor People's Campaign announced a march um, in Texas that will end at the state capitol in Texas um, in coming weeks. There's a very good chance there will be some kind of rally in Washington, D.C. on August 28th. It's being publicized right now, but I haven't seen the kind of major organizations get behind it as of now. So the reality is that that kind of action can elevate the pressure, perhaps push Schumer and Biden to act on either options A, B, or C. That's the kind of action that can be done right now. And there is a bunch of that occurring, uh, and it will grow, I expect. It's possible that we at Common Power will be part of some of that. It's possible that we will engage in some of those protests. It's possible we would go to a rally in D.C. It's possible we would travel to be part of a march. We just don't know yet. We need to see more. Um, this is not our primary lane. It's not our lane of action. Um, and so we, we are very deferential to what we see uh, from others. We want to see and we want to take cues from others to see what makes sense, what's valuable, what's a good use of our time, and what, uh, where can we be a multiplier. Our lanes of action are always voter specific. And right now, these are public direct actions. As a quick aside, in the civil rights movement, there were multiple organizations doing work and they had different lanes of engagement. Those lanes overlapped, but they had distinct points of focus. The direct action nonviolence is not our direct focus, is not our primary lane. Doesn't mean we can't contribute to it, but we will not rush in. We will, we will observe and learn for a while. So we're waiting to see if that becomes a major phenomenon and if so, then there's possibly a way that we can help amplify it. Um, but the second, and I said there were two things. And the second thing is, it does appear 
um, that the Democrats have decided that they're putting their attention in the U.S. Congress right now on uh, pieces of legislation that are budgetary. Um, they're twofold. They're infrastructure and they are uh, more broadly around economic stimulus, family support, um, a variety of things that are under a budget heading, which could include immigration, which would be awesome, could include immigration reform and updates. These two pieces of legislation on what we're going to call infrastructure and a reconciliation bill. A reconciliation bill is a bill that has uh, primary economic impacts um, and can be passed without a filibuster. These two things, an infrastructure bill and a reconciliation bill, um, are right now the points of focus in the U.S. Senate. I think the Democrats have decided that they want to try to pass these two bills. And upon passage of them, be in a position, a stronger position, to then return to pushing for voting rights legislation, as well as perhaps climate change legislation. I think that the, the strategy behind that is, does have logic, that if they pass these two bills, they'll be in a stronger position to then act upon voting rights, which is in the parking lot right now. And the timing of it makes sense because if the Democrats are able to pass these bills in, let's say, by Labor Day um, or early September, then they would be ready for the, the second voting rights bill the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act to be brought to the floor in the House and to be considered. And that bill is going to be a fix of the Voting Rights Act. And there's going to be an awful lot of ethical um, positioning around that bill um, that that's going to really, really gain the national attention. So I could see the Democrats essentially saying, okay, the, the, the S1 is in the parking lot. We're going to pass these other bills um, and give it our best shot on them and then come back, get that car, the voting rights legislation, pair it with another vehicle, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, and make a push in September and October. Um, <clears throat> there is a logic to this. I think there's some logic to this because um, the reality is that you, if you're going to do option C, which is adopt a few maneuvers that make you possible to even consider overcoming the filibuster. You have to clear the way in the Senate. You have to get rid of other bills that you want to pass. Um, this is something we learned from the 1960s, which is you got to pass all the legislation you want to pass before, before you shut down the Senate to try to beat a filibuster. Um, and so passing these two bills would be the way to go and then to come back and to shut down the Senate and to have a months long debate um, over whether or not we should begin debate on these bills. Uh, I don't know if this is the plan. I don't know if the plan is to pass these bills and then to come back and go for it all on option C, which would bring the Senate to a complete halt um, while there was a debate about whether to begin debate on the voting rights bills. But this is the way you'd go about it. And you also would not publicize it. You would not say this is what we're going to do because then the Republicans would just say, we're not going to pass anything. We're not even going to give you consideration of anything. 
um, because we want to uphold it all. We want to hold it all up. So I could see why the Democrats wouldn't be talking about it. They wouldn't be talking about this public plan. So there is this like uh, part of me that is can see a strategy, a logic through it all, which I'll summarize this way. And I don't know if this strategy is in play because I don't have insider knowledge. I have as much knowledge as somebody who's obsessed with American politics can have because I read and I watch and I listen, but I don't have like a direct line to the president or to the leadership in the Senate. But this is the, this is the summary of the potential strategy evolved, which is we got the Democrats, the Democrats got themselves and we helped to get them to 50 plus one votes in the US Senate. They can pass this bill, S1, if they get a chance to even begin debate on it and then to end debate. They can pass it. That was phase one, getting here. Phase two would be clearing the way of other legislation that the Democrats really want to pass. Passing those bills, getting them done, getting public support for them, and then opening the, opening the space for the reconsideration of S1 paired with the new consideration of the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. So phase two is to pass other legislation. Phase three, well, I'll say during phase two, the action of outside organizations is to elevate the pressure. We have contributed our part. We're gonna take a, a break, a hiatus, while other organizations push around nonviolent direct action. Again, we might contribute to that, but that's not where a place we're gonna have any major position. Um, so during phase two is pass these other bills and have pressure pushed, pr pr pressure brought, brought by these outside organizations around nonviolent protests and marches. Phase three then, if this is gonna unfold, is to bring back S1, pair it with HR 4, which is the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, and make a major push that requires the halting of the Senate entirely to try to defeat the filibuster, option C. I can see this as a chessboard set of moves. I can see it out there. I don't have any evidence that this is the plan. But I do know that the Democratic leadership has indicated they plan to bring H.R. 4 to the floor and to pass it in the House and to push for it in the Senate this fall. I do know that the U.S. Supreme Court has uh, ruled, did rule in June, or no, I'm sorry, early July, so a few weeks ago, to gut the Voting Rights Act, 1965 Voting Rights Act, to gut it further. I know that the, the Congress, the Democrats, were waiting for that decision in order to use some of that outcome to strengthen the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. So I know that, that there is the plan to bring that bill forward as strong as it could possibly be this fall. So I can see the outlines of the plan. We don't have confirmation of this. Nobody's really publicly saying this out loud. But I do know that the Democrats haven't quit. They haven't given up. The, the vote S1 is in the parking lot, but this past week, um, the Senate held its first hearing in the Rules Committee in more than 20 years uh, 
in Georgia, they held it in Georgia to get public hearing, public testimony on voting rights in the state. That hearing um, further elevates and shows the Democrats' commitment to this piece of legislation. Not a single Republican on the Rules Committee attended that hearing, which just you know indicates that this is this is totally a non-starter for them. So that's to me is the 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 place if you're looking for possible hope um, in what's going on with S1 is to see it this way. Phase one, we got the Democrats to 50 plus one votes. They can pass this if they get a chance. Phase two right now passes other legislation and let the outside groups ramp up the pressure through nonviolent action. Phase three is to bring everything back in the fall, pair it with the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and push, push, push and shut down the US Senate at that time. One last piece to all this is that if this is the plan, also it's gonna be met like there's, I'm going to use this metaphor again. There's an intersection where that's going to be met um, in that plan, uh, in which redistricting, the redrawing of congressional and state legislative districts, is going to be happening this fall. So the amount of national tension around voting in elections will be extremely high. So that's also a sign. I'm looking for data points that there's a logic to this plan, that phase three this fall is out there. So we'll wait. We'll wait to see. We're taking some time off. Um, we'll probably, uh, I'll probably be in periodic podcast touch with updates. Um, and I will keep letting our advocacy group know where we're at. But for now, you know, we've been faithfully phone banking and contacting senators for months. And uh, it's time to take a take some time, take a break, come back in force, not only for this work, for advocacy, but for our field work in Virginia this fall. So everybody take some time. I'll keep you updated. Thanks for your work. Um, and let's keep going in our, our relentless quest for a just and inclusive democracy. All right, take care.